Well, good morning. Man, it is great to be back with you all this morning. Um, I had the last two weeks off because, as Paul said, I had a son. Not me personally, but we're adopting. Um, and so uh, I took two weeks off to just be able to be with him and with Heather and uh, just really enjoyed it. Um, and so two weeks ago, we were here and Dale did an incredible job. And then last week, I don't know if I can give Paul Yeager the stage again. He really bashed me a lot, I felt like. Um, there was just a lot of untrue things coming out of his mouth about a certain team that I really like. So, but I'll walk in forgiveness on that. Um, but I mean, my goodness, I had not heard that guy preach before. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you go back and listen to it because my goodness, you can just feel the love that he has for God and the passion just flowing out of him. So much so that I wonder, do I even come back? Or should I just let him become the new lead pastor? But I'm here, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I, I can honestly say this, I love this body. I, I truly do. Stepping away, uh, I went back to Coffeeville to go to church with my family last week, and um, it was a great church that I was there. I went and saw the old church that I worked with, but to be able to come back and be with you all, it just, it just feels so great. Um, I, I love you all so much. Um, so much so that uh, I'll just be honest, when I first came here five years ago, I remember I was at that church, I was the youth minister over there, and I kind of felt the pull of God saying, you know what, maybe you should move to Columbus. And it was like, you know what, God, I really don't want to. Uh, why would I leave? Because I was in a good position. I loved the church that I was a part of. And I thought, really, I'm leaving a great church to a church that I don't know what I'm going to. And in all honesty, they can't be as good as what I was leaving. And not to toot your horn or anything, but I love it here. I have not regretted the decision to come and just worship and serve alongside every single one of you one moment. And I look forward to many years to being here with you all as well. Um, but I was really questioning, should I come? Uh, so much so that I remember, uh, long introduction here, but I remember that as I was coming, I really didn't even try to get this position. It was like, okay, I'll turn in a letter and I'll turn in an application, but I'm not gonna, I want it to be God. And so then the elders and the search committee was like, yeah, we'll still take you. And I was like, all right, one last thing that will be the proof that I should come if you let me move to Haiti for two months and maybe I won't come back. And it was like, nobody's gonna let me do that. And they were like, sure, go for it. And so I moved to Haiti for two months in my first year. I was here for six months, and then I moved off to Haiti, and everybody was like, maybe he won't come back. That'd be good. And you're stuck with me. No. Uh, but anyways, uh, now we're getting to actually why I'm sharing all of this. Uh, when I was in Haiti, I had to teach English. And it was like, do you really know who you have teaching English to your students? Like, this is gonna be pretty rough. But um, I had to teach English to a bunch of students who did not speak English. And if you've ever had to teach English to somebody who does not speak English, you might realize it is a confusing language. I mean, I barely speak it and it is my native tongue. But it's like, you have to explain all of the things. For example, try and explain this to somebody who doesn't understand it. Sent, sent, sent. I said three different words there with three different meanings, but all you hear is one. 
You have one penny is equal to one cent. You have, I bathed today, you're welcome, and uh, my soap had a nice scent to it. And then you also have, I feel like God sent me to Columbus to serve alongside of you. Three different words, three different meanings, one sound. And then you have other things like the word love. This is an example that I use all the time where I say, I love my family, Heather and Isaiah. You say, I love a steak that is barely cooked at all. And then you say, I love the Texas Longhorns, which can we just talk about last week for a moment? 49 to zero. I mean, I'm going to live in that moment for a long time. We could lose the rest of the year and we beat OU, not only beat them, shut them out. I won't say anything else about that game, but I love all of that. And it's like, wait a minute, the same? No, three different word, same word, three different meanings. It's a confusing language. And we kind of see the same thing when we talk about our topic today, because we're starting this new series called Asking for a Friend. And so these topics are going to be questions that I get from people. And there's still a basket out there. If you have questions come up, feel free to add them in there. And we'll just kind of keep adding on to this series as the questions come until it's like, all right, we've, we've exhausted it enough. But today's question is, what is hell? And why does it exist? And we're going to wrap up with the question that I'm kind of attaching to the end of it. Why would a loving God send people there? So we're looking at this question. What is hell? Why does it exist? And why would a loving God send people there? And so we're going to be like scattered throughout the Bible today. And so get your thumbs ready to flip, get your pens ready to mark, because we're going to look at what hell is, like the question, why it exists, and then we'll wrap up with why would a loving God send people there? Uh, We need God in this moment, so before we go any further, if you'll join me, we'll open up in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you just for these opportunities to gather together, and God, to give you praise, that we get to sing about who you are, and God, that we get to open up your word so that when we have questions like these, God, you know in advance And you have prepared the scriptures for us as you say, all scripture is God breathed. And so may we see this message not as coming from me, not as coming from anybody else, but from you. And therefore, may we take the meaning behind it and and the motivation behind it to just live for you in everything that we do. God, we need you in this moment. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So when you think of hell, maybe you have an image that popped in your head that's similar to what mine is. Like when when I hear the word hell, my mind goes back to cartoons where you have this cartoon animal and he gets ran over by a truck or blown up with dynamite. And then what immediately happens is you see if he's a good animal in the cartoon, he gets wings and a halo and he starts floating up to the sky. But if he's a bad cartoon, he gets horns and he falls down into the middle of the earth somewhere where he is on fire. And you have this one creature that's got horns, a pitchfork and a pointy tail who is the devil and he is the ruler of hell. And, that, and that's kind of what a lot of like media portrays hell as, as this place of fire where the devil is king of hell. And, and honestly, that's a misconception about it. 
Because what we're going to see later on is Satan is not the ruler of hell. Instead, he is its number one prisoner. But before we get there, we need to understand when the Bible talks about hell, there are actually four different words that the Bible uses for hell. And so we're going to look at each one of these. The first one is a Hebrew word, and it is the word sheol. And so you'll see this in the Old Testament because the Old Testament was written in Hebrews. And so you'll see this word about Sheol, and really what it is, is it's like the realm of the dead, or the place that people go after they die. And Sheol is not necessarily a spiritual state, but it could also just mean grave. It could mean the spiritual state of like where your soul goes after you die, but it could also just be, I'm in the grave, I'm in the tomb. My body ceases to have life, it is in Sheol. And we see this in passages like Genesis chapter 30, excuse me, 37, verse 35, where Jacob has just heard that Joseph has been murdered or killed by a wild beast. His brothers come back with the false statement. They sold him, but they come back and say, your son, Joseph, has been killed by a wild beast. And they try and comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. The psalmist talks about Sheol a lot. Psalm 6 5 says, For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? And so it could be talking about the physical state of your body in the grave or the spiritual state. And then Psalm 49, it says, like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol for he will receive me. So we see kind of both meanings there. Psalm 139, verse seven, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And then Ecclesiastes 9.10, he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, talking about the grave. You just, your body ceases to exist, which you are going. All are destined to die. All bodies are destined to go to Sheol, the grave. And so we see this word Sheol, which we kind of sometimes in the Old Testament think of as hell, or can translate it maybe that way as hell, but really all it's talking about is that final realm of the dead, the resting place that the body goes, or it could be the spiritual state. And then we flip over to the New Testament and we see this other word and it's called Hades. And it's a Greek word because the New Testament was written in Greek, but we're gonna geek out here for a minute. So try and hang with me. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. There is a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, they translate Sheol for Hades. And so really every time you see the word Hades, Sheol and Hades are kind of the same uh, thought, the same meaning. It's the realm of the dead. It's the afterlife. It's where your body goes and where your soul possibly goes. Because we see this in Luke chapter 16, probably one of the best descriptions 
of the afterlife during the time of Jesus is found in Luke chapter 16, where Jesus says this. He says, there was a rich man who is clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. He was covered with sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, there we see that word, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And so he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if anyone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. So he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And so Jesus, he's, he's addressing Pharisees and Sadducees at this moment. And the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection after the death, after death. And so Jesus is making this point and he's giving us a glimpse into at this time, what happens when we die? Because he says, you have this rich man and you have Lazarus. And he says, they both die and immediately they're in this location. It's not some kind of soul state where you're just in limbo waiting for something to happen. He says, they died and they were carried away to this location. And he says, this location has two different locations in it. And so I'm going to call the overall location Hades because it's the realm of the dead. But in Hades, there's two locations. There is Abraham's side, and then there's Hades or the place of torment. And so the rich man went to the place of torment. And we're told that he's in anguish and he's like, send uh, Lazarus over to me so that he can bring me back over. And he's like, if, if you'll just dip his finger in water to give me some kind of relief. So we know that the place of torment, Hades, is just that. It is not a good place. They both go to Hades. The rich man goes to the place of torment, but then we're told that Lazarus goes to Abraham's side. He dies, the angels carry him to Abraham's side where there's rest, where there's peace, where this term is also called paradise. Sounds pretty nice, right? Two tickets to paradise, one ticket, Jesus Christ. But I got off track there. That's what happens. Um, so you have Hades, the place of torment, and you have paradise, Abraham's side. Because at this time, the Jews believed when you died, you went to the place of your fathers, of the patriarchs. We see this in Genesis chapter 15, verse 15, where Abraham is told, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be united 
and you shall be buried in a good old age. And then in Genesis 25, it says Abraham breathed his last and he died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. So Abraham dies and he goes to this place called paradise, which became known as Abraham's side. Whereas there's this other place full of torment, agony, and it says there's a fire that could not be quenched. And there's, there's a common misconception about this taken on by the Catholics, where they call this purgatory, where they think, you know what, whenever you die, you go to this place of torment until your sins can be paid for. So you have to be down there and you have to suffer. And then uh, they have this other thing called indulgences, which is where I can do enough good to bring somebody out of the place of torment. And so it used to be financially based. If I gave enough money, then maybe my great grandma who didn't believe in Jesus and is suffering could cross the chasm. But notice what Jesus said. He said that there is a great chasm between it and nobody can come from paradise to the place of torment and nobody can cross over from the place of torment over to the place of paradise. So really what we're saying is when you die, your destination has been set. There's no crisscrossing back and forth. There's no amount of good deed that could be done to cross back over. I cannot bring somebody who's already died and hope that they get over. You have this life to choose. And it's still not based on a good deed that you do. It's based only on the good deed that Christ did and you placing your faith in that. And so Jesus is saying, you have Hades and you have Abraham's side. Now I've mentioned it before that this is the view back then because I don't believe this is how it is now. Because the question that you might be thinking possibly is, so wait a minute, when I die, I don't get to go be with God? I have a great illustration for you. I'm an artist, not really, but yeah, there it is. So I drew this, fancy. So you have four realms here. You have at the very top a yellow line that is heaven. That's, that's God, where God is. Then you have the black line, which is the physical realm. We are living in the physical realm. Then you have the two bottom lines, which combined represent Sheol or Hades. And that is divided into two places. The top being green is Abraham's side or paradise. And the bottom being red is the place of torment, where we kind of always associate as hell as that fire, as that brimstone, as that place of constant agony. And so you have all of them running parallel. Now this is the way my mind sees it. You have all of them running parallel, but notice on the black line, there's also a blue line because there is something that happened 2000 years ago that changed the course of history. Because we're told in God's word that we are not able to approach the throne room of God if there is not a perfect sacrifice. And Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away the sin of man. And so when Jesus is telling this parable about the rich man and Lazarus, he is saying that, the, that Lazarus went to Abraham's side, paradise, because there hasn't been a perfect sacrifice made. But notice there's the cross. And at the cross, we have that perfect sacrifice. And in Ephesians chapter four, verse eight, it says that Jesus ascended on high and he led a host of captives. Who did he take with him? 
This is, this is how I read into it. This is my view of it. That when Jesus died, it talks about him descending. And a lot of people are like, wait, did Jesus go to hell? No. Jesus went to the overarching thing of Hades. And Jesus went to specifically paradise. To Abraham, to Moses, to Noah, to all of those who died, hoping in the promise of a perfect sacrifice, but never having one. Because in Luke chapter 23, Jesus says to the thief on the cross, when the thief on the cross says, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom, what does Jesus say to him? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Because Jesus goes down and Jesus proclaims to the captives who have been waiting for his sacrifice. He says, you know what? It's been finished. The sacrifice has been made, the veil's been torn, and Hebrews says, now we have the confidence to approach the throne room of grace, that we can confidently go to God because that sacrifice has been made. And then Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, he says that I would much rather be apart from the body because to be apart from the body is to be with the Lord. And so it used to be that before Jesus, when you died, you went down to Hades. But if your faith was in the, the promise of Jesus, you went to paradise. Jesus gave his life. So now when we give our life to Jesus, we don't go to paradise. We go directly to God. We get to be in his presence and be there with him. Now there is still the lower red line. Hades is still continuing on because Hades is not hell the way that we think of hell. Hades is not that eternal place of judgment. Your destination has been like signed, sealed, and delivered. You're not getting out, but there is still the great judgment that is coming. So you have Sheol, you have Hades, and then there's this other word that is only mentioned a couple times, and it is abyssos, which we call the abyss or we see it as being the bottomless pit, and it is just that place reserved for judgment for the demons and the angels that, that turned on God. We see this in uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 30, where Jesus asked the demons, he's talking to demons there, and he says, what is your name? And so they say, legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss, that place of judgment. And so instead Jesus sends them off into the pigs. Then we see in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4, uh, Peter tells us God did not spare angels when they sinned, but instead he cast them into hell. That word there for hell is that place of waiting judgment, the bottomless pit. It says he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. Jude chapter 6 says, The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but they left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And then Revelation chapter 9, we see the fifth angel blows his trumpet, the star falls from heaven to earth, and he's given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, the abyssos. He opens the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the sun and the air were darkened with smoke from the shaft. So we see we have Sheol, we have Hades, we have Abyssos and now we're gonna get to this is what hell is. 
This is the term that actually, when you think of what is hell, Hades, the bad part, the place of torment, is like just a glimpse of hell. And then you come to the last word, Gehenna, which this is a play on the Hebrew word for Valley of Hinnom, which we see in Second Chronicles is a place where the kings sacrificed their sons to Moloch. They were told, do not worship any other God and do, definitely do not kill your sons. And they said, you know what, we're gonna do both. It's in Second Chronicles chapter 28. It says, Ahaz, he was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images to Baal, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom. That's the word Gehenna right there. And burned his sons as an offering according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And then Jeremiah 32 says, they built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Moloch, though I did not command them, nor did it enter my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And so really this valley of Hinnom, whenever Jesus would use that word, when he would say Gehenna, it brought an imagery to their mind. Because that value of Hinnom during Jesus's day was like you would take your, your excrement and you would take it out there and you would burn it. You would take your garbage and you would take out it, it out there and you would burn it. And there was just this constantly smoldering fire going on. It smelled, it was hot, it was disgusting. There were nasty worms that were growing through it all. And so when Jesus would say the lake of fire, that's what their mind would go to. They were like, oh man, yeah, we, we know where you're talking about. We have a, a visual representation of it, and that is not cool. We don't want to go there. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, a couple verses where Jesus talks about Gehenna, he says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to, to counsel, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire, to Gehenna couple verses later, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into this eternal lake of fire. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And then Matthew 23, 33, he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? So Gehenna is that eternal judgment place, but it's not made for us. It is made for Satan and for the demons. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then in Revelation 20, verse 14, it says that death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And so to answer the question, long way to get to this answer, what is hell? Well, according to scripture, hell, the eternal 
view of hell is a place prepared for the devil and his angels, according to Matthew 25, 41, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Luke chapter 13, verse 27 through 28. A place of complete separation from God. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9 tells us that and that it lasts for eternity. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. It is the final judgment of those who have not placed their lives in Christ. And so I wanna wrap up with that question because like I said, what is hell? Why does it exist? And then lastly, how could a loving God send people there? How could a loving God, if hell is meant for Satan, why is it that God would send people to hell? And the Bible is clear. The Bible tells us hell is a real place. Hell is going to have real feelings. Hell is going to be eternal. And then in Revelation 20, verse 14, it said, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And then it says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. How could God send people there? Here's the answer. He doesn't. I do not believe that God sends people to hell. Now, you could argue this, and I understand, but we choose hell. When we reject the free gift of God found in Jesus Christ, we are choosing hell ourselves. He didn't prepare hell to send people there. He prepared it for the demons and for Satan, who is its number one prisoner. But humans... When we choose not to live for Christ, when we choose not to place our faith in the sacrifice of Jesus, we are then saying, I choose hell. Because Jesus has offered eternal life to us. First Timothy 2, 4, these are the, this is the desire of God. He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. John 3:16 God so loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That if you decide not to believe in him, that's the result. You perish. Revelation 20:15 it said if your name is not found written in the lamb's book of life, then you will be cast into hell. Well, how do I get my name written in there? What can I do? Do I do penance? Do I do enough good things to be able to make it in there? No. He says in Romans 10, 9 through 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one's be one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then he says in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You call on the name of the Lord, you believe in him, you repent and give your life over to him and say, there's no amount of good that I can do. I cannot pay enough penance. There never will be enough. I can't cross over from the chasm from here to there. It's only through the blood of Jesus. That's the only way. That's how your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, by having it sealed in the Lamb's blood. Ephesians chapter one through chapter two, if you would go through there and just highlight or circle or underline every time you see in him, 
Because it says, in him, we were predestined for adoption as sons. In him, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of the inheritance that we will soon receive. In him, through Jesus, everything is because of who Jesus is. You see, God prepared a way so that no one has to go to hell. So we choose hell when we reject the sacrifice of God because Jesus tell, or God tells us in 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he gives you a choice. Are you going to receive the eternal life that is found only in Jesus Christ? Or are you going to reject that and therefore choose for yourself to have eternal hell, to face eternal separation away from God? He's giving you the choice. And, and I know a lot of people in this room have chosen and that you can say, I'm not scared of hell because I know I'm not going there. Not because of what I've done, but solely because of what Jesus has done. And, and so what I would encourage you to do is see hell is a real place. We have friends and family and coworkers and neighbors who will go there because Paul in Romans chapter 10 went on to say, how are they going to believe if they have not heard? And how are they going to hear if they have not been preached? And how are they going to preach if they have not been sent? You're being sent. That God is in, in, in first, second, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 20. Paul tells us we are ambassadors for Christ, carrying on the message of reconciliation. And he says, therefore we implore you, be reconciled to God. That's the message we're called to go with. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus and you're like, yeah, I'm not worried about hell because I know where I stand with Jesus, then that is the message you are called to go and share the good news of Jesus, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that if anybody believes in him, they will not perish, but have eternal life. But if you're like, you know what, I'm at, I've, I've worried about it, scale of one to 10, you die today, how certain are you that you would go to heaven? If, if you're not a 10, then there is a sliver of a doubt that you could go to hell. And Jesus says, I paid the price so that you do not have to worry about it. You can be a 10 because Jesus tells us through Paul in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what he calls us to do. If you are feeling that on your heart and you're like, I, I wanna be a 10, that's how. It is found in the work of Jesus on the cross. It is found in the sacrifice that only Jesus could make. Because of that, we can, as Hebrews says, with confidence approach the throne room of God.